Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Church Changer podcast. I have a question for you. Is your church pursuing a culture of diversity? Do you even know what that looks like or how to do that without creating division? My name is Lauren Berkerich, and I'm one of your hosts here at Church Changer. And today, we're going to provide practical steps for you and your church to become agents of racial reconciliation and change. And joining me for the conversation is my co-host and my pastor, Tim Lucas. Tim, I think we're in for a powerful conversation today. Oh, I totally agree, Lauren. We are going to have an honest conversation with all the smoke <laughs> about race and diversity with one of my very best friends and our our guest of the show, Wayne Francis. And Wayne is going to help us change the way we talk and think about God and race. I, I really think Wayne has a unique anointing. He just has this amazing ability to ask the uncomfortable questions that I think sometimes people are afraid to ask. 100%. Re- right? Regarding ourselves, yeah. the church, hot topics. But he does it in such a winsome way without condemnation. This is really all about us striving together towards greater unity, empathy, really trying to keep these conversations open and ongoing. You know, one of the challenges for churches is that too often conversations about race and diversity only happen on the heels of tragedy. But when tempers are flaring and people are really in pain, it makes it really hard to have productive conversations. So ideally, these talks need to be ongoing because we want to approach this with cool heads and open hands, right? But it's easier said than done. Well, that's why Wayne's here. He's going to help us today talk about the big picture. So we're going to zoom out, but then we're going to zoom in and get really, really nitty gritty practical so we can see what it looks like to pursue diversity, not with just kind of lip service at our own churches and discuss, hey, what are some practical steps we can take right now to make progress? So let's go ahead and dive in. Oh, I am so excited for today. We have my brother from another mother, Wayne Francis, on the podcast. Wayne and his wife, Classy. Are you ready, buddy? I'm ready. Let's get it. Oh, man. <laughs> Wayne and his wife, Classy, are dear friends uh, here in the Northeast. They actually started Authentic Church uh, in Westchester County of New York back in 2010. Is that right, Wayne? Correct. 2010, yep. You've been in it, man. Sleeves rolled up, sweat of the brow, bootstrapping, church planting, and uh, incredible to see what God has done. Um, Wayne and uh, an authentic church, um, just incredible um, harvest they've had. But they actually had a chance. You've merged with the Life Church, which is incredible. The strategic merger, which the Life Church is a multi-site and multinational church based in Tennessee. And so Wayne now serves as the lead pastor of their New York location. And congratulations on moving into a brand new building, Wayne. Yes, let's go. After 13 years of mobile, we are no longer nomads. We have permanent space. (laughs) It's absolutely credible. Breathtaking building and a new season of ministry. But Wayne's been involved in executive leadership for over two decades, okay? So he's got some experience. And he's also the co-author of one of my favorite books, God and Race, A Guide for Moving Beyond Black Fists and White Knuckles. Love the title. And he's also co-host of the weekly podcast called Leadership in Black and White with John Siebling. So if you read, ever come across Wayne's bio. I I, love this. This is so fun. I I think the most (laughs) impressive part is that Wayne's in his 40s, but still able to drop it like it's hot on any dance floor. 
I read that too. And I'm like, this is personally my favorite qualification that you have, Wayne. This is the best. And he's, that's not, that's not like hyperbole. I've seen him bust it on the dance floor. It just, it just oozes out of him. But Wayne and Classy are great friends to Colleen and me. And Lord, we're just so glad you made time for us today, Wayne. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, what an honor it is to talk about this and to talk with you. I love you so much. Um, Tim is a dear friend and an icon in this region and across the nation. I mean that. I'm not just saying that. Just I'm a person that's inspired me. And one of the reasons why we persevered is because you and Colleen persevered and raised a great church in New Jersey. So we love you. (laughs) Well, Wayne, let's just kind of jump in, man, because last year you released one of my favorite books of the year um, called God and Race, A Guide for Moving Beyond Black Fists and White Knuckles, which I just think it's a great way to start our conversation today. Explain the subtitle of your book, because there's a lot of meaning when you say moving beyond black fists and white knuckles. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, well, it actually originated as um, a thought that I had thinking about when I grew up in the Bronx and um, every young black kid in the neighborhood I grew up in had a black fist pick, you know, used to pick. I, I had way more hair on the side of my head back then on the side of my head. Now I'm all faded up and everything, but I picked my hair out and the black fist was a symbol that started. It really originated during the medal ceremony um, that took place in the Olympic Stadium in Mexico many years ago, 1968, two African-American athletes, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, each raised their black fist, their black glove clad fist to as an act of, you know, defiance in some ways against the racism and the pain that black people were experiencing in the 1960s in a very, very um, profound way. And since then, it just became a symbol of black power and a response to holding on and sticking it back to the man. It's a, a mark of solidarity. And then white knuckles, you know, refers to um, perhaps white people and the paradigm that has held on to structures and perhaps through, whether that's through ignorance or through bias and racism has held on with mm-hmm. white knuckles to things that hasn't advanced mm-hmm. our country um, in the ways that it should. So to me, when I approach the issue of diversity, I approach the issue of diversity as though there's mutual responsibility. Mm-hmm. I, I really believe that. So the idea for the subtitle of the book is let's have an open-handed conversation about race because black people need to unclench their fists. And so do white people. We both have a responsibility so that we can actually come together. Amen. I love that. So if the challenge for us today is to open our hands, how many churches do you Mm -hmm. think are truly open-handed when it comes to conversations on diversity and racism? Or do we just like to think that we are? Yeah, I think that the percentage is low. And I would like to say that I think most, most churches are open to the concept of diversity, but not the conversation of diversity. You know, mm. I had to give you some alliteration because I'm a preacher. <laughs> but most churches and most most spiritual leaders are really open to the concept of diversity. They want it. They like it. Where we tend to fear is having the conversations that are life-giving, that are not triggering or traumatic, that actually move the ball down the field. And so um, I think that we're going to have to get a whole lot more optimistic about the way we talk about race. And we need tools. There are tools now that can help us that don't always make a conversation triggering or traumatic. That's one of the things I love about you, Wayne. Um, Again, you're one of the more optimistic people 
and leaders I've ever met. You you lead with hope. And so many times I think this conversation it is a white knuckle conversation for a lot of leaders. We're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Or will I step on toes? It feels like I'm going to tap dance through a minefield. And so they kind of right. hold the steering wheel white knuckling it. But as you said, there's a way to actually engage this without being triggering to your congregation or, or traumatic um, to people who've been wounded. Tell us a little bit about that, because I think most people, when they look at the news or even the data about race relations, it can feel like overwhelmingly negative, you know, pretty deflating. But you've actually mm-hmm. pointed out that data suggests the majority of people are optimistic things can change. Tell us about that, how we can leverage that optimism. Yeah, the majority of people, and there's polls, we could probably put it in the show notes and stuff where I got some of this data, but nevertheless, it's like 59% of people are optimistic as late as 2018 in polls and 2020 in polls that things could actually get better despite some of the tension that we're experiencing. And so I feel like we have this opportunity as people who project a better future, for those of us that are speaking and leading teams in church spaces that we actually have this, we presume that most people are, you know, tense and angry and don't want to go there. They actually want to, they just need to be led well. And when you're not, you know, consumed with making a statement, but the scripture talks about knowing the state of your flock, that's a big deal. You got to know the state of your flock and then you can craft the right statements instead of being silent or mm. being, you know, you know, having a lot of trepidation. That's what brings optimism is that most people need good news. That, that we're in the business of giving good news. I think what we're afraid of is um, actually not speaking, engaging people where they're at. You know, you say, obviously, the gospel means good news. When you look at the gospel, what good news is embedded in there about race and ethnic relations? Well, you know, I think one word that comes to mind is Jesus. He uses the word all. I love that. Matthew 28, 19, go make disciples of all. To me, the gospel has such an inclusive Mm -hmm. approach to making anybody, regardless of what their race, ethnicity is, included. Um, I think the New Testament is the most progressive, radical book on diversity that has ever been written. It's so honest Mm. in every aspect. It does not even try to hide that. The disciples have issues. Right, right. The the Bible don't even try to cover it up. I was thinking about even, you know, the Syrophoenician woman. The the problem is, is that we have to become better hearers by listening, Right. The Syrophoenician woman that Jesus, you know, you know, allegedly called the dog and all the, the nuances that are loaded in that that deal. She knew how to hear differently. And when you when when and this is what we'll talk about, maybe hopefully in this podcast a little bit is like getting tools to listen to people well, because mm-hmm. when you listen well, you, you don't look at what people say as offensive all the time. Mm-hmm. You look at it as an opportunity an opportunity to press in. That's why she said, oh, yeah, Lord, I like it. I get it. You're going gonna, gonna to talk about throwing the bread to, well, even the dogs under the table could eat these crumbs. Right. She knew how to hear past what he was saying. And I think, because that was loaded with race issues, right? She's a Gentile right. and so on. I think we have to train our ears better to listen so that not only do we hear, we can have an opportunity to go deeper in a conversation. 
I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, no, I love that, though. I, I think that's a new way to think about that, that the New Testament you said is the most revolutionary book ever written on race. And when you look at that, it's like, wow, you're, you're right. Jesus crosses ethnic, he crosses gender boundaries, you know, meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. You think of, uh, you know, Peter, yep. uh, you know, I, I, you know, can't eat, you know, with with the with the Gentiles. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden it's like he has this revelation that, oh, my God, the Lord accepts Jews and Gentiles. But then yeah. you're right. Then it's like, the, you know, the church gets birthed and we think all these problems are automatically going to be solved. We have unity in Christ. But then all of a sudden it's like. The Hebrew widows and the Greek widows are complaining. She got first in line, man. I got second dibs. Yeah. I'm back in the bus. What's going on? And like instantly the church is confronted with these racial issues. It's so interesting yeah, that you bring absolutely. up. Absolutely. I'm sorry, wait. I was just going to say how we have to improve our listening because as humans, yeah. we're, we're just terrible listeners, right? We're always thinking about what we're going to say next as opposed to listening what the person is saying currently. And then when it comes to an issue yep. that gets us heated... Oh man, we just turn off. We right. we only we just get so fired up. We're we're quicker to tune out than to lean in. Exactly, and um, it's why we have to immerse ourselves in context um, and learning by being immersed in different spaces. Because otherwise, we just jump to conclusions all the time. Um, there's always a difference between what's said and what's heard, what's said and what's meant, mm-hmm. and unless we start tuning in our ears to listen well, this is why people get offended so so much. They don't listen. They hear, they just don't listen. So we have to get tools on how do I listen to people well? How do I engage people with good questions so that um, I'm not always trying to arrive at an answer. I'm trying to arrive at deepening my relationship with you. I like that. So, okay, so let's do that. Let's, let's lean in and get some practical for our listeners. So if we want to pursue diversity... Yep. How do we practically do that? I think the default knee-jerk reaction to most pastors would be, hey, let's preach a sermon. Let's, or, or even better than this, let's devote an entire sermon series, oh, three that, weeks that on the topic. That shows we mean it. Yes, three it weeks. Uh-huh. <laughs> and do it in February. In um, Black History Month, <laughs> <laughs> why is that inadequate, Wayne? Why is that so yeah, inadequate? Yeah, yeah, it's it's not that's that's not the answer, right? No, because um, good discipleship is like a drip campaign and not a fire hydrant. Mm. It's like your messages always have to have a little bit of that call to diversity, right? So, you know, just doing a series, is it's noble, but it has to be more of a drip campaign throughout your entire year. Um, it's like bi- if biblical literacy is a value to you, how do you drip biblical literacy through the whole year? I don't think enough leaders in the church space are making... So you could do a sermon and you could do a series, but to be effective in real uh, diversity in your church, you need to build it as a system. It's a system that bleeds everywhere in the, into the church culture, staffing, series, um, environments, uh, internships, the whole thing. So, Can you lean into that a little bit more in the systems? Uh- how do we begin to tackle that, right? So if somebody's listening, they're like, okay, I, I, what's like a next step to start to systematize it? I think that people need to look at their organizational values. And if diversity is not in a value statement, you'll never be able to track it across any other thing that you do because there's nothing guiding it. It's just an intention or it's something that you feel like you have to do because like everybody's doing it and corporations are doing it. 
you have to you have to start off with a value as a church, as an organization. We believe da da. You can make it as pithy as you want to or whatever. But for us, we say we're building a house that looks like heaven, mm. and that is diversity ethic for us. And then we measure it across everything that we do. Um, do our sermon series sound like we're building a house that looks like heaven? Does our music? Does our staffing? And does our does our hiring process look like we're building a house that looks like heaven? Because if it did, and if it does, then there's going to be some measurables that we have that um, are tangible, and we can see the fruit of it all the time. Oh, I love that. A house that looks like heaven. I, I mean, it, it's a great sermon title, <laughs> but I love what you're saying, <laughs> actually, right? Because seriously, like if you're building a house, it's like, well, it's a lot more than the window dressing. Um, we've got to get a foundation. Yeah. We've got to get a frame up. That includes staffing. I think that's it. Let's talk about having diversity on your church staff, because sometimes um, I'll yeah. see churches that have diversity on the platform. So on the stage, it looks diverse yeah. uh, or, you know, with their speakers or worship leaders or even the hosts showcase diversity, but it's not really representative of the staff. Wayne, what does true staff diversity yeah. look like and, and how do you pursue that? And this is a big deal, Lauren and Tim, because um, people of color, when we walk into a church and we might see a brother or sister over there doing a little something, something, but then if you pair in and um, there's nobody involved in leadership that reflects you, Mm -hmm. then that's a problem. In in my book, I tell a little story um, about uh, visiting a church website, and um, I was looking at all of the, uh, the staff, and I kept scrolling. Your boy was scrolling and scrolling, scrolling, <laughs> scrolling until I found one black person, and it was the director of facilities, which just shouted like janitor to me. I was like, you know, all the way at the bottom, and I thought that was an optic that the church would probably think about, right? But um, currently, on my team, on my staff, I have five white people, one Latino male, one Latina one Indian guy, two black females, and a, and a black dude, right? That's a very diverse mm-hmm. staff. And I still think that now, you know, our goal is to have more Asian representation on mm-hmm. our team because that's where our church is growing the most. But um, what I was going to say to that, that even inside that, there's nuance, right? So there's a black male, but there's also a Caribbean black male, right? Very that different. Ha- so there's nuance. There's African, there's one Latina that's from uh, the Dominican Republic, and then there's another one that's from Puerto Rico, a little bit different, you know, Barriqua Morena. There's a whole lot of <laughs> diversity even gets and, and don't get that, that confused either, right? Don't don't confuse yeah. that, man. Pastor yeah. Kyra making has the let effort me have to it. know <laughs> that and understand that's that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, teams must have this kind of. Um, age diversity, race diversity, ethnic diversity, and, you you know, there's contextual diversity. Uh, African-American from um, Memphis is much different from an African-American from New Jersey yeah. or New York or Connecticut. They have different nuances, and that's all of the stuff, the stew that we're trying to put together to really have diversity represented on our team. I have a follow- And I have some hiring principles about that. Ooh, oh, give us, give us those. Yes, please. Get my notes. Hiring principles, um, Wayne. Go ahead first, Lauren, but I'll... Oh, okay. Okay, well, you want me to go? Well, okay, I'll jump in. I'll jump in. Uh, what I wanted to ask you is yep. how much does a diversity 
need to reflect your community? Because you mentioned that, like, hey, our congregation, um, we have a lot of Asian Americans, but our staff doesn't reflect that. So what are we mirroring? You know, as opposed to just like a mixing pot of people, are we trying to really reflect the community that we exist in? Yeah, I think it is our responsibility to reflect the demography of our community. So that also takes a little bit of, because like I've been to predominantly black churches um, that are in all black neighborhoods, right? So they're probably not going to be diverse and vice versa with all predominantly white churches. But most of us in North America have churches in communities that are diverse, Mm -hmm. right? So let's take the pressure off. So that means that we should be doing everything that we can to reflect the, the, the community that we're in. Why? Because we reach people that are far from God and close to us when we do the hard work of getting bicep deep in the soil of our community and saying, we're going to churn this bad boy until we look exactly like who we're trying to reach. And it's going to take work. So um, I, I do. I'm thinking, again, the Asian population is growing in my church a whole lot right now. I'm like, well, guess what? We need that reflected in our leadership. Mm-hmm. And that's the next move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can happen. It can happen over time. You know, uh, Liquid started, we were in the suburbs, Basking Ridge, New Jersey, 150 year old um, uh, white Baptist church, essentially. Mm -hmm. So we're predominantly white, but now it's really a multi-ethnic church. I mean, we have 20% Latino, huge growing population of 20% Asian. Um, Again, what's, what I love about Mm -hmm. that is the idea of a house that looks like heaven, but recognizing contextually depending on where your city is or community or neighborhood, it may not be, you know, the perfect blend, uh, but it needs to look like the people who we're actually ministering to. That makes a lot of sense to me. Talk to us a little bit. You mentioned hiring principles. I would love to hear a few of those. Um, I think that there's nothing, this is my posture and my position. I don't know. So I'm going to get y'all off the hook. Your boys just talking the way how I feel about something. Um, and I do think that church leaders should set measurable and achievable diversity goals. That that's not like some weirdo, you know, affirmative action flow. If you're building something and you know what you want it to look like, why in the world wouldn't you try to say, yeah. I want this to reflect my staff yeah. and to say, we're going to pursue and go after trying to do that. And we won't compromise because of pressure. Because in growing churches and growing organizations, you might just be like, oh man, it'd be awesome if we could have, you know, we want more Latino representation, but man, our our first impression teams, need, we need a leader now. And we're, we're going to do this. I would, I, and I, I, there's some churches that I get the privilege of serving on um, as an overseer. I actually tell some of them, maybe you should feel the tension and the pain and wait for a candidate that you don't have yet and let and let the tension flow because otherwise all you'll keep doing is patching urgency instead of providing diversity. And if diversity is the goal, you can't always just answer the, the urgency that's in front of you. Sometimes you have to double up and delay some things to get to where you want to go. So I think you set measurable, achievable diversity goals. Number two, I think you stuff your pipeline before you have to tap your pipeline. Mm. So what I mean by that is 
we we a lot of times like, all right, do you have a leadership pipeline? Well, you really need to be stuffing it with people that aren't going to even lead yet. You just build con- contextual things and you diversify your pipeline so that you can tap it later and not have to work, you know, with just like, oh, we got to hire this company to find us this guy. That, you you got to stuff your pipeline mm-hmm. before you tap your pipeline. And when you stuff it with diverse people and you get diverse people to recruit other diverse people, because that's what we do, right? We yeah. always bring our friends into contexts that make us feel comfortable and at home. And, and when you design your church to be a friendship factory um, before mm-hmm. they become employees, that's when you get a powerful diversity culture. Mm. So um, number three, um, make hiring in for diversity a challenge, a beautiful challenge, and not an obligatory checklist. Mm. What I mean about that is that it is a challenge to diversify our churches in terms of leadership and in the hiring process, but the temptation is for it to become a checklist, and that motive is bad, right? So the checklist is like, all right, we need a Latina, we need we need an African American, and we need a <laughs> we need an Asian. That's a checklist. Mm. The challenge is we have to be a church that reflects the community, and we're going to do everything that we can to mm. make people feel like this is a place that they can serve and grow. I got two more. Do you got two more? Can I get yeah, two more? yeah, no, please. This great. is great. I'm writing them down. Go. <laughs> um, if you have any diverse employees right now, you might have one person of color on your staff. Invite them into partnership for recruiting because the best person to recruit is actually the opposite person. So if I'm a white pastor and I have a black person on my team or a Latino or Asian, I'm moving into the conversation and vice versa. If I'm a black pastor and I, and you're like, Oh snap, a white person is on my volunteer team and they're crushing it. I'm going to ask them to partner with me to accomplish the vision that because technically they probably have more influence than you do at that level. So invite them into partnership for, and there ain't nobody in a church that is demographically imbalanced that ain't going to want to see more representation in <laughs> that church if they like it. They're going to be like, mm-hmm. yeah, man, I've been, I've been waiting for this conversation, bro, because I'm trying to bring some people here on a Sunday. You know what I'm saying? So that, 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 that's um, an approach. So you encourage your diverse employees to be your best recruiting tool instead of you being the best recruiting tool. And the last one is, I say start a diversity internship program. Like it is a diversity internship program. You let the church know where this this internship program is for us to learn and to grow. And so we're bringing diverse voices together and people. You're not giving them a job. You're just giving them a role. But it's almost like a think tank of sorts to work with people that are going to help you figure out maybe some of the best ways for you to shape your hiring process. It's always better to bring people around um, that are, that'll help you. So anyways, that's it. I want to ask you about that internship program. So do you actually bill it that way? Like it is a diversity internship program or is it an internship program and behind the scenes you're like, oh, we want to find diverse candidates. Like how does that communication function? I would call it a diversity internship program. Okay. Like Claire, not clever. This is a group of people that we're assembling with diverse voice, diverse voices to do X. And I would, I, the whole intention is to create a bigger culture, a broader culture of diversity in our church. 
I love that too because internships bring in young people and we need more young voices. A PS who like they don't even talk about diversity. They're just used to it. <laughs> like Gen Z is yep. is one of the most inclusive generations. And like, it's almost like, again, this is like remedial for like Gen Xers. Yeah. <laughs> but Gen Z just expect it. Yep. They expect it. And if it's not there, that's a flag for them. Yeah. 100%. Yes. Um, yep. Wayne, I want to talk to you about this because it's when do we talk about these topics? Because you actually counsel churches. Don't wait for the headlines, the hashtags to get honest about tough topics like racism and diversity. What do you mean by that? And why is this so crucial for us? Um, as a black person, black man, I feel more cared for by my white colleagues and, and contemporaries and uh, people that, you know, I look up to when I feel cared for when there isn't tragedy. Hmm. Um, a lot of times it seems like tragedy is what creates empathy when empathy should be agnostic to tragedy. Empathy is, I always want to pull people near me and close to me. And I think people of color left our churches in droves because we didn't have conversations about race until the world blew up, mm -hmm. you know, um, until we had a lot of pain. And I can tell you, this is the biggest warning, Lauren and Tim, that I keep trying to give churches is that it's inevitable that we're going to have more tension on the issue of race. And there are a lot of churches since 2021 20, that stopped talking about diversity. And for sometimes it's for reasons of trauma, right? Like I said something wrong and I'm afraid and I just stopped talking about it. But, but you're minimizing your authority to speak into that space again, because people are going to look back and be like, Oh, you only talk about, about this when there's drama, mm -hmm. when people are, on Instagram and Facebook, I feel most loved and cared for when imagine an entire people group feeling like your issues are only important when there's pain mm. or it's an evident pain. Um, wouldn't it be more amazing when you just felt noticed and, and nodded to when there's nothing going on? And I think that's the, the opportunity. The biggest opportunity for leaders right now is to keep this drip campaign of diversity going so that if a headline, a hashtag or something, you have moral authority to come close to people that are in pain before there is pain. That is so well said. I mean, as a, again, you guys can tell Wayne is a pastor's pastor and just the authenticity of saying, Hey, are we actually in relationship that this would be the most natural thing to talk about because we're already in conversation. Mm -hmm. There's been systematic intentional yep. care and all the way through you know, Wayne, I, you spoke at our Church Changer conference last year, and I had a, two pages of notes, man. It was yep. awesome. Um, but you said something that was very convicting. You said, unless we make a solid, intentional choice to repent, and, and pastors love calling other mm -hmm. people to repent, <laughs> understand each other, love one mm -hmm. another, we're going to remain divided. I feel like a lot of people might think to themselves, you know, I'm on board, like you said, that the concept— um, but I don't know that I have anything personally to repent for. I, I hear that a lot from people. Let's assume there are people listening right now who have some, and it's goodwill. It's not like them being just totally right. defensive, but they're just like, hey, I, I yeah. understand there's a, a sad history of racism in our country. It's certainly still a problem, and I want to be a help, um, 
but I don't know that I personally or individually have anything to repent for when it comes to racial issues. How would you challenge us to think about that, not only as leaders, but just as human beings? Well, I think it's always, it's always a very scary place to be in when you think you have to repent of nothing on whatever subject, <laughs> right? Like, right, right. I don't need to repent to that. Well, you just need to repent to that statement, buddy. You know, it's, um, I, I, get, I get the idea of like, well, I didn't do that. Or, you know, I wasn't here for that. Like, you know, that was mm-hmm. my ancestors, perhaps. I'm not, yes. connected to that. I'm not a racist. I love people. I'm a good person. But perhaps um, you might need to repent for not playing a bigger role of a person in the process of reconciliation. Mm. Perhaps you need to repent for not moving in the direction of people that are more are different from you and mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. them feel seen, heard, and known. Perhaps you need to repent that you haven't served a person of a different color mm-hmm. um, because you might be in a community where there are more of the least of these. So we all have something to repent of, including people of color moving in the opposite direction. Now, this is where I usually get canceled, right? Because I think in our culture, one of the reasons why people say, or a white person perhaps may say, I don't feel like I need to repent of anything, is because repentance has been very one directional in the race deal, um, in the conversation. It's like white people feel guilty, they feel bad, and so on. And there's been heinous things that have been done to black people in this country Mm -hmm. and around the world. I get it. So I'm talking to people This is for believers, because I also experience people of color kind of being angry and upset, and I don't want to, you know, these white people are really super suspicious in a way that blocks the conversation. My approach to diversity is, that's why I said at the church, we all need to repent, because maybe we've created blockades as people of color Mm -hmm. that have made white people feel very afraid to talk and to have a conversation. Maybe we're so hurt and so pain in so much pain that we haven't made it easy. And I think what repentance does is it breaks down the walls for everybody. It makes us come with a humble posture. It makes us come with a, it it invites us into the kingdom because we have to act like children. And much of what's happening right now is this bravado that keeps Mm -hmm. us separate. So we all, every one of us have to repent if you're a follower of Jesus to make diversity a powerful conversation. I mean, repentance is one of the most beautiful words in the Bible. You know, people see it as something yes. like, oh, now we got to feel guilty or I got to, you know, it's like, man, if you're not repenting every morning, <laughs> like this morning, I have to repent of things. And I love what you said. It's not just the sins of commission. Well, I had nothing to do with that. I didn't do that. But the sins of omission. That really I struck me too. I could have done more. Yes. But actually, I prefer to be quiet and play it safe because I I, I don't want any trouble. Oh, that's convicting. Yeah. Like most of us just stay in our comfort zone. Of course. Yeah. Especially in this climate, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, oh, man, if you say yep. the wrong thing, like you said, Wayne, you're going to get canceled. You're going to get accused. Gonna... So it's easier just to stay silent. But sometimes silence is violence, uh, I have been told on occasion yep. from folks. So that's a, that's a great challenge. By the way, also, pause for Bible nerds. There's a tremendous biblical precedent for leaders repenting by taking communal ownership of a nation's sins. Ah, 
Uh, in yes. the Old Testament, I remember I was, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about revival, the Asbury revival. We're going to see revival. Mm-hmm. And it's like the number one thing in revival is not like lit worship. It's not it. It's actually repentance. And <laughs> when Ezra, when it kind of leads, like it breaks out in revival, he actually tears his clothes and he says, Lord, I repent. Me and my people have yes. been very wicked towards you. Ezra didn't personally yes. do anything, <laughs> but as a leader, yes. he took ownership for communal repentance, which is lost in Western thinking because we're so individualistically oriented. Yes. And I could not agree more. It is the, uh, probably the biggest sin in the race conversation is um, to somehow individualize what God is called to be communal. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not just about your pain or my pain. It's about us moving into story together. And um, yeah, I can't say it any better. That was amazing too. Wayne, something that you pointed out at our conference as well last year really stuck with me. You said, diversity will be an outflow of your personal life. So I felt like you laid out what was a hard truth for us to hear, that a lot of times, yeah, we want our churches, our congregations to be diverse, but our lives are not diverse. So how would you challenge all of us to look at our own friendship circles? Well, I would ask you, um, you know, who's the last person uh, or tell me who you went out with this entire month in the month of, you know, uh, whatever month it is. What, what, who'd you go out with? Was anybody diverse in your, your, your friend group? Who do you work out with? Um, you know, what are your social media follows like? Do you follow mm-hmm. people that are diverse, yeah. that have diverse voices? Or do you just, you know, follow a bunch of black people or a bunch of white people or Latinos online? Are you actually even subtly learning cultural nuances? Um, I think that's a big deal. I like to talk about friendship. I think that Jesus elevated a theology of friendship, and that's why this is so important and he had diverse friends. I think that we have to elevate a theology of friendship that includes diversity. So you need a six-pack. You need about six friends that Mm -hmm. are moving in the same direction spiritually. And you should do the best that you can to include in that six pack somebody that is a meaningful friend that is different from you in race, 100%. And if that's not popping, you're losing an opportunity to have moral authority to move the ball down the field. And so the last deal, too, is when's the last time you immersed yourself in a context where you were the minority? Like, hey, you might need to, you know, go to a a concert that you're the minority, you know, and, and feel the music and understand what the people are, are jiving to. You need to go someplace where, you know, you're not, you're not the predominant person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do we learn when we do that, Wayne? Um, you learn a lot of different things. You learn um, the desires and the nuances of other people, but you also learn how much you have in common with other people that, you start figuring out, oh, yeah, like we laugh about the same things. Or, oh, man, I, I didn't know that this was something that happened in your family as well because there's so much more, um, we're so much more alike. But I'm telling you, there's so many people, especially leaders, that they can't come to a pulpit or to a huddle or to a staff meeting well because they don't do the work with diverse people in their own life. And um, I would look at a whole calendar year and say, 
I'm going to spend some time with people that are different from me. I'm going to go on a vacation for, you know, we're going to get this cruise and we're going to, we're going to start being around each other and learning how to, 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 to learn different things from each other. It's so important. It's vital. It is it's like, I, I can't, I cannot press how much this is a big deal. And if you don't have any friends that look different from you, it's time for you to start those relationships in a big, big way. Love that challenge. Wayne, something, I don't know if people caught it, but you just tucked it in there, but I think it's brilliant. Um, Even if you don't know where to start, um, doing a judo move with your social media. In other words, a lot of people on social media, they follow others who agree and who look like them Mm. so that I can just reinforce my thoughts, positions, perspectives on everything. Um, people would be kind of probably shocked if they looked like who I follow on social media. I've got, I use it actually as learning. I try to expose myself to other voices and perspectives that are way out of my lane, way out of my comfort zone. So it's one of the primary ways. And people are always like, oh man, social media, it's so toxic because it's an echo chamber typically. That's true. But you can actually do a judo move and you start following other voices and perspectives that widen and enlarge your world. Absolutely. And that's a great opportunity for you to redeem the good tool of social media yeah. by, by making sure that you're a, a learner. So the word disciple, um, it actually means learner, right? right. Like the, the root right. word there is like learn. And I think our discipleship has to have the humility to embrace a posture of curiosity again. And that's probably one of the reasons why diversity issues, um, conversations stall. We're just not as curious as we should be about the other. We need to be other oriented and our curiosity is embraced, is, is enlarged by embracing um, study and reading and following people that are different from us so that we can grow. Wayne, in a minute, we're going to ask you for one or two churches that you could point to that are, are really kind of not nailing this, but really leaning into the tape mm-hmm. and making a difference. But before we do... Um, maybe you could just end this part of the segment with one practical step churches can take like this quarter, something they could do immediately to lean into this and begin moving in the direction of change. Because I think the topic can sometimes be overwhelming. People don't know where to start. What's one practical thing they could do, you know, this week, this month? Oh man, that's so hard. I wrote down a couple of things that I thought were kind of larger church issue uh, kind of deals. Um, I, I think I, I think you can lean in. It's always good to lean into the calendar, right? Like to, and to have foresight and to plan a little bit more, right? So this might not be something you could do this week, but mm-hmm. Mother's Day is coming up. What would it look like if, you know, uh, uh, some white leaders um, decided to help black and brown uh, communities where there's a lot of single moms and mm-hmm. the emphasis is making some moms feel um, we at our church we do a Mother's Day flower brigade, and so we we get some white people and black people and Asians together putting together flowers, and then we go deliver bouquets to single moms in mm. underserved communities. Love it. Father's Day is about to come up. We know that in communities where there's people of color, color, let's just be honest. You're gonna keep it a hundred. Your boy gonna keep it a buck. There's a lot of fatherlessness. Mm. What could you be doing right now? I'm planning to make a a kid feel fathered or to feel like mm. there is some parenting. And then I'm going to go a little bit further. I know you asked for one, but your boy, I, I don't know when I'm going to be back on the keep podcast. Going, keep going, Wayne. <laughs> <Because, laughs> 
I think one of the things that, um, that, cause again, I never talk about race with the responsibility of just on white people, black people, Latinos, Asian, we all got to do work for diversity too. So if you're listening and you're a leader, maybe one of the things that you could do is put yourself in a context of doing something that a, another race particularly does that you might not do. Let me give you a case in point. Black people don't typically ski. I went on a ski trip in Breckenridge with a bunch of other white dudes. The only other black dude I saw was when I saw myself in the mirror and that was it. But it put me in a context to do something, number one, that I was scared of, right? Like I don't snowmobile or anything like that, but it was amazing. What am I saying? If you're a person of color, immerse yourself in a different context. Do something with people that you traditionally wouldn't do and maybe challenge yourself. Go to a different teaching seminar. In the black church, we, there, there's a way, there's a cadence that we preach and so on. Maybe you need to go to a teaching seminar mm. where you can learn some different tactics on teaching oh, that yeah. would help you appeal without muting yourself yes. to people that are white. Can I get a good amen, Sister Lauren? Can I get a good amen, <laughs> Brother yeah. Tim, on that? All right, I'm done. I no. love that. Oh, it's so good. So good. I just had uh, uh, Jason, Jason, our audio engineer behind the glass here. What's up, Jason? Good to see you. Hey, what's up, guys? Okay, now Jason is our music director, right? So he plays keys uh, in the uh, in our worship experience. You remember when I came back from that funeral? One of our my close friends, Sister T, Tawana Fields, her her mother died, and we went to um, the name of the church was the um, Methodist uh, Fire Holiness Holy Ghost Tabernacle in Patterson, or something like that. And oh my gosh. Okay. The opposite. Okay. I was the only white guy there. Actually, Dave Brooks was there too. Okay. So the two of us, and it was awesome. It was one of the most buoyant celebrations of life I've ever seen, but to be exposed to all the black ministers there and, and it was out of my experience and the way they preached, they used the organ behind it, you know, in this beautiful way. They even sang part of their, like the eulogy. It was like broken to song. It was so powerful. It was so kinetic, uh, so life-giving, didn't have that kind of somber. It was like, man, this is a celebration of life. But being exposed to that for a couple hours, I came back, Jason, right? I was like, we need that organ on Sunday. I need that not in the worship. I need it under the sermon. And what did you say? I said, uh, uh, give me some context. Well, you you were like, it's about time. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah yeah i told tim i reminded him of a message he gave back in 2020 yeah back when i was doing audio at a mobile campus and i remember hearing him preach on the holy ghost and revival yes and i said man he's he's going in Come up on. there he needs an organ up there he needs some music behind him yeah <laughs> and and i think if you had just told me that, and a few people have said that i was like uh I, I don't know i'm not sure that's not you know that's not my tradition i'm, I'm not but actually having been mentored and pastored and now seen in different traditions, I was like, let's take a risk here. And it was awesome. It was so powerful. So that I just want to affirm that idea of like, put yourself in more uncomfortable situations that you think are uncomfortable, but you're actually there as a learner. Take the posture of, I always have something yeah. to learn. And the more I expose myself to different cultures, man, I'm going to widen my toolbox. Well, and you know how that ripples out. So then you yep. try it out, right? And you have Jason on stage playing behind you. So I'm just sitting in the the seats at church, oh, and you yeah. see people looking around like, "What's happening? What's right happening now? right now? Where's that music coming from? What's going on here?" 
<laughs> so like rippled out. You experienced yeah. it. You brought it to our church. Then you helped our people experience it. It's wonderful. But yeah. man, I was just laughing because Jay, you grew up with that tradition, right, Jason? Yeah. So our church, we we did the whole thing. We did music. We did, you know, preacher breaks into a song and the the piano player, the organist has to catch up, find the key, play it in that <laughs> key and never played in that key before. Uh-huh. And it, it turns into a full worship session. People get on their feet. They start shouting. Next thing you know, there's no more messages. We're just going straight into worship for the rest of the service. <laughs> love it. Love it. So we're bringing some of that in, but we do keep it 39 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. 100%. As part of our podcast each month, we want to spotlight some churches or organizations making waves and doing great work. It's not just about giving them a shout out, but about pointing you in the right direction so you can become better resourced. So today we wanted your take on this, Wayne. We'd love for you to share with us just a church or two mm-hmm. who you think is modeling what it really means to authentically have diversity woven into its culture and systems. Yes, I'd like to shout out um, two people. Um, Earl and Onika McKellen, who pastor Shoreline City Church in Texas, amazing diverse church. Now, let me say this. Um, one of the things I admire about them is that they're a black couple, African-American mm-hmm. couple, that pastor a predominantly white church, but very diverse church in Texas, everybody, which is <laughs> a big deal. You need to follow them online. Their huddles on Sunday mornings will give you so much adrenaline and you'll see the diversity that they put up on their Instagram story and everything like that. Great job. Then I want to shout out Paul Artino, who's at Redemption Church in Arizona. And um, one of the things that I love about him and his church, it's a large church, but he's a white pastor, um, but is um, tremendously diversifying his church after a lot of pain. Experienced mm. a very big church split over the issue of diversity back in 2020. Really? that split the church, still a large church, but people left and so on. And they are now rebuilding an even more diverse church. After the pain of people walking away because of racial issues, he brought uh, 10 young leaders uh, that were all diverse here um, to my church about in January Mm -hmm. and did a whole diversity trip, paid for the kids to come and meet with diverse leaders here in New York so that they can continue to learn how to build their church out. Amazing. So shout out to Paul Artino and Earl and Onika McKellen from Shoreline City, Paul Artino from Red- Redemption Church in Arizona. Man, I'm just looking at their websites right now, One Shoreline City. Yeah, they look these, They look like they're killing. I'm looking forward to learning more about their ministries. Uh, Wayne, this is such a gift. It really is. And I can't thank you enough. You are a mentor to me, uh, not just a friend, a brother, <laughs> but no, man, I'm serious. I learn something new every time we talk. And, and you just, dude, you just, you just, it's amazing. He just drops in these pearls. You're like, wait, what? Say that again. I, you just such a wonderful mentor to me and so many others, uh, leaders, just as a thought leader here in the Northeast. And I just, I'm so grateful for your voice, man. So, so thankful for you. Thank you. I love you. I admire you so much. Thank you. Thank hey, you Wayne, you got to tell people how to follow you, get in touch with you. How can people see what you're doing? Yeah. You can follow your boy at Wayne Francis, W-A-Y-N-E-F-R-A-N-C-I-S on the gram. That's predominantly what I use. Although my kids got me on B-Real right now. I hate it. But um, <laughs> nevertheless, um, 
uh, Wayne Francis. Um, of course, my church is at the Life Church New York. And you can also get me on Instagram at Leadership in Black and White, the podcast that I host with my Pastor John Feebling. I can't wait to promote your podcast on ours and have Tim on mine now that I have a permanent facility and can do all the good stuff that I oh, want yeah. to do. Let's do it, buddy. All right. One more thing before we let you go. We always have our segment, Something Fun or Something Free, because on each episode of Church Changer, we want to end on a high note um, and offer up a recommended resource. Wayne, you have a devotional on you version that you recommend for us is free to use. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, our book, God and Race, we wanted to create as many resources as possible. There's a small group curriculum, but we did a curriculum for version that is a, a seven-day immersion, one week, that will help you broaden your approach to diversity through the scriptures. And it's a wonderful version uh, uh, study and resource. It's free. It's seven days. You can walk through it with your life group, with some friends, do it on your own. And um, I think it'll help you grow spiritually in the matter of diversity. Love it. Love it. And we're going to link to that directly, guys, in our leader guides to make it easy for you to get all your resources in one place. So you know all you have to do is go to our website, churchchanger.com slash podcast, download the leader guide for the episode, and then we'll link to that resource. Yeah, let me just say leader guide is an excellent resource for your team. We'll have a summary of today's episode, some of these key learnings including the hiring principles from Pastor Wayne, plus discussion questions for you and your team. Totally worth the download. Yeah, thank you, Wayne. It's been such a pleasure having you on. This has been incredible. To see everything we're doing, follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Church Changers. Plus, we'd love it if you followed us on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you are listening. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. Remember, change is inevitable. Irrelevance is not. So let's put aside our egos and logos and build a house that looks like heaven together. Love you guys.